It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Thanks for downloading my podcast. My name is Rob Snow White. Welcome to 2024. This is the 15th year that I've been doing this podcast. We're going to start off with the way to fly fishing. The idea for this podcast came to me when I was sitting in on a class on, you could call it metallurgy, physics of metal, or just metal sciences, mass, density, and volumes. And I thought, wow, you know what? That really applies to fly fishing. And I started brainstorming and I got an idea to do this podcast and we're going to talk today about the weight of fly fishing, adding additional weight to your lines or your flies or your hooks to get your flies down deeper, faster, further, or to have a specific action, whatever, to make your flies get eaten quicker and more efficiently by fish. First, I'm going to start off with just the history of adding some weight. We know that people have been fishing, fly fishing for thousands of years and I'm sure they've done everything they could in the past to weigh their flies down. We have some more modern alternatives, and I'm going to talk about those today. While I sit in my fly tying room, and it's snowing outside, the forecast for snow was supposed to be for tomorrow, but last night, right before bed, it said we were going to get snow overnight. And sure enough, you woke up this morning, and the D.C. metro area is covered with snow. The roads are clear now, but it's going to get pretty bad once the sun sets. So beer tie for this evening has been canceled. So I will be staying in and watching the Bills playoff game on the big TV in the basement instead. Probably make something nice, hot and warm to eat. And probably find myself in here tying flies at some point just because it's so nice outside and I've got a great view out my window. So bear with me on this podcast. It's a fun one. And it shouldn't take too long. We're going to get a little nerdy, a little historical. And this isn't usually my realm of science. It's not the physics and the math part. I'm more of the 
biological living entities of science is what I'm into. So let's start off with the history of adding weights to your hooks to get them down. So the addition of glass beads to artificial flies and lures most likely started about a hundred years ago as the primitive form of what you think it is now. This is just some of the history I've remembered from my years of doing all this. The addition of metal beads onto flies as we know it, the modern version, most likely started, and it's possibly disputed, around the 1970s, most likely in Italy. Now, the addition of glass and these pearl-like beads happened most likely in the Alps, the Alps around Switzerland and northern Italy, that area. Now, the popularity of these beads spread, and throughout the 1980s, it started coming over here to North America. It did not look like a modern bead on a hook. They didn't have the same types of drilled holes that I'm going to talk about, and they didn't slide up the hook eye as modern beads would do. The original beaded hooks were not utilized by fly anglers, mostly. And some guy named Tom Rosenbauer, and luckily I had a chance to speak with him yesterday in person, he would be the one that formally introduced beadhead flies, specifically nymphs, to North America, and the evolution took off to where it is now that if you were to open the hairline catalog behind me, there's going to be six to ten pages just dedicated to beads, cones, dumbbells, wires, and miscellaneous things to add to your flies. Now, that is what we do as fly anglers in the modern world. The non-fly anglers around the D.C. metro area are very creative, and I've seen all sorts of crazy combinations and methods used to get flies or lures or bait down because if you leave a fly on the shoreline, someone's going to just take it and put it on their line and either snag fish with it or put bait on it or try to use it on a spinning rod. I've seen car keys tied to line like Benjamin Franklin. I've seen a orange with a white cap pill bottle full of rocks tied to line. I have seen rocks attached with rubber bands and I've talked about this guy before and it was one of the most intelligent things I'd ever seen. He was fishing for catfish at Chain Bridge and he had his bait, and then a couple feet above his bait, he had on a rubber band, like the one you'd get on asparagus or broccoli. And he would find a rock on shore that would fit in the rubber band, and he would toss it out. And the rubber band and the rock would sink to the bottom, and when he was ready, he would just yank it really hard, and the rock would pop off. I've heard a similar method of using bricks for halibut in the Northwest, and that there's just piles of bricks on the bottom, that I read a long time ago. I don't know if that's true. I have seen nuts and bolts used, not together, but having a hex bolt tied to monofilament. I've also seen uh, the bolts, so nuts and bolts. I've seen rocks just wrapped around monofilament. I've seen jig heads with just the jig head used with the hook broken off. I've even seen a spark plug tied to monofilament. People get very creative and they usually leave it behind. All right, so now we've got methods that people have used in the past. We're gonna get more into what I'm talking about today. Now we're gonna throw a couple of vocabulary terms at you. Luster, mass, and density. Luster comes from the Latin lux, meaning light. Luster is the property of metals due to which they shine. The shiny appearance of the metal is called metallic luster. 
the luster of metal is due to the reflection of light, which is caused by the presence of mobile electrons in the metals. Do you want your beads to shine underwater to attract fish or human attention? Or do you want your beads to be cryptically or dull colored and blend in? I can look around me in here and I've got varieties, hundreds, probably a couple thousand of different beads of every luster you can imagine. Mass is mostly what I want to talk about today. The amount of matter or substance that makes up an object. Mass is different from weight. Mass always stays the same while weight changes with changes in gravity. The weight of a body is the force which the earth attracts to it. And finally is density, the quality of mass per unit volume. We're going to talk about centimeters cubed in this podcast. How much space an object or substance takes up its volume in relation to the amount of matter in that object or substance. A small tungsten bead has more mass than a large brass or plastic bead. So what I'm trying to say here is that gravity in air is different than gravity in water. Things are going to weigh differently based on what solution they're in. And just because something is larger doesn't mean it weighs more. It has a different density based on size, but the mass will always be the same. I'm going to talk about weighted flies, beads and cones, hook weights, lead weights, and putty. And then we're just going to go over a couple of the weights of things, and you can be on your way for the day, and I'm going to go watch the snowfall. So I already mentioned you want your beads to be shiny or dull or your dumbbell eyes shiny or dull. Why add weight to flies? Well, we're going to add beads first in this conversation, and we want them to sink to the bottom where the trout reside. If you're fishing to fish on the surface, you're probably using a dry fly, something that's made of buoyant materials that stays at the surface where fish are actively feeding. A lot of the time you're going to encounter trout, and this is mostly a trout-based podcast, on the bottom, the water is slower there. They're a little more safe from aerial predators. They can dart about to safety a little easily, and that is where more dense food will be tumbling about. So they're going to be on the bottom nibbling little morsels that are going to be bouncing by or coming at them in the water column. So you want your fly to sink down there faster to get to them before it passes them by in the water column. You want them to sink before they're washed away by the current. You want them to sink before drag starts. If you're using a tightline mono rig, it's going to have a lot less drag in the water and your fly will sink down and stay where it is faster. If you've got a thicker leader or thicker head on your fly line, it's going to get manipulated more based on the increased surface area, and it's going to move more about and get twisted and pushed around and just screw up your drift. You can add flies to change the profile. Now, most insects are dorsoventrally flattened because these bugs live under rocks mostly where there's very little spaces, and they need to have a very small profile where the water goes over them and they don't get washed away. So think about squished things as opposed to how we prefer them in the round. And what does that do? It makes your fly a little bit larger. It gives it a bigger head, more of a big skull. It's just going to change the side and top profile of your bug. The larger your weighted bead or cone is, the larger the head. Sometimes you just want a bright colored bead to garner the attention of a fish. Maybe you want them to see the shiny luster of it, and they're going to say, ooh, look at that. I'm going to go inspect that. 
Maybe you want it bright so you can see it when you're, when you're fishing closer in and you can see that bead. If I can see the bead on my client's flies, it makes it a whole lot easier when I tell them to set the hook. If I see that bead get slurped up, I can say set the hook and we're good to go. Sometimes beads just look like food in the water. Do you want it to look like a fish's egg in the case of a egg sucking leech or maybe just a lone bead on a fly to look like an egg? And then you have to deal with the anatomical correctness. I mentioned that if you put a round bead on, you're going to change the entire profile and your fly is not going to look as intentionally like the thing you're trying to mimic. Stonefly, mayfly, helgramite, whatever. Most of the small, flat things that live under rocks. So the Flyman Fishing Company, they came up with more anatomically correct caddis, stonefly, and mayfly heads for those people that want to have a little bit more anatomically correct profile to their flies. Now, whether having larger eyeballs and mouth parts on a hook adds more density, I don't know. I have some of them. I've never fished with them, but I look forward to doing that experiment for you sometime. So that's why add beads, cones, dumbbells. Dumbbells might help you flip the hook over to make it ride more snag-free in the way a clouser would be tied. Or maybe you just want dumbbell eyes to look like eyeballs. Sometimes you're going to hide it inside the material and the fish are never going to see it. It's adding something for a specific purpose. So beads, codes, and luster. Do you want shiny beads like I have? I'm going to tie bright aluminum beads on flies that I want to be attractive to the fish and for me to see. But there's sometimes I want them to be dull, like on a stonefly or an all-black woolly bugger. I'm going to use a matte black, no shine, zero luster finish where it's going to blend in. Sometimes you might just want your beads to look as natural as possible to a three-quarter inch olive brown object that a fish is most likely going to eat. If it's too shiny, you might spook them. If the fish is from a hatchery and they're naturally curious because they're pellet fed, maybe a bead is something that's going to attract them. Fish also are just curious by nature. Walk up to a fish tank, wiggle your fingers at it. They're all going to come and inspect. So when you throw a fly in and it sets it apart from all the other things floating downstream, you might garner their curiosity by just taking advantage of a fish's naivete and curiosity. And that's kind of the whole point in fly fishing. What about size of your beads cones? Are they proportional to the insect? Do you want to have a small little head on your caddis fly with a big green body? Or do you want to have an oversized head on it just to make the fly look a little bit bigger and set it apart from other things? If it's too big, is it going to sink fast? So you have to decide, do I want to use a small heavy bead or a large unweighted bead? And these are the things you're going to have to deal with when you're tying or purchasing flies in a fly shop. I mentioned the shape. Do you want them to be round and bubble-like, maybe like an insect that's got a bubble of air and it's going from the surface down to the bottom like a diving beetle? Or maybe you just want to have it round because it's just going to look like a big head or a big egg on the fly like I mentioned earlier. And then there's the mimicry ones. You can have actual anatomically correct and sized to the insect you're trying to match. Some anglers try to have very precise imitations of their flies. I go for the more impressionistic. I'm not too concerned about having anatomical correctness in my flies. You have a desired movement an action that a bead's gonna give you. If you're using a jig head fly, the angle of the bead on the hook and the shape of the hook is gonna give a different action than a straight stream or a nymph hook. If you have the weight in the front of your hook, 
When you move your fly, it's going to go up and down, giving you a darting action. So you can impart darting and jigging based on the orientation and location and the amount of weight you add. You can also just use these for dead drifting. Do you want to have something that bounces on the bottom versus somewhere mid-column? Maybe you want something that's just going to go and bounce along the tops of the aquatic plants in a spring creek. It's all up to you. If you're designing these yourself, you have plenty of options. If you are buying them in a fly shop, you're going to be limited, but you do have some options there. The orientation of your bead, because not all beads are tied up against the eye of the hook. There are scud patterns where the bead is tied in the middle to look like a little bit of eggs. There are some where the bead is tied in the middle to give it a hump or just to give it a more dense center for it to sink. Jig hooks, again, are going to have a specific orientation that is different than most of your straight eye or down eyed nymph and streamer hooks. It's just going to give a different angle of the bug that you're representing in the water. It also may help you hook more fish, having that orientation different. Then you have paradigons that are just going to bounce and tumble along the bottom, and they're going to have a large weight on the front of the fly, and the hook is going to be sticking out the back up, similar to having dumbbells on the eye, but without the dumbbells. You also have to figure in the sink rate, and I'm going to talk about that last when I go over my chart of the different metals we use and their different densities. But you have to decide how deep you want to go. Some anglers will carry one pattern, and each one is a different size. Think about when you open up your socket wrenches and all the different uh, parts that go on your socket wrench. You've got one shape, but a completely different range of sizes. So you may have soft hackle flashback pheasant tail, and you might start with a size 10 down to a size 20. And you may have a whole bunch of 10s with lightweight beads to heavy beads, a bunch of 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, and 20s in one box if you really want to get down to specific locations targeting fish based on the water current and everything else I'm talking about. There's so many variables that go in that when you actually throw your fly in there, you're not going to get the exact result you always want to. The quality of your beads is also going to make a huge difference. Nice expensive beads are all smooth and shiny all the way around. They're not going to get caught on your fly tying thread and break it as you're wrapping your flies. Cheap ones that are drilled specific ways sometimes just have like a little piece of metal sticking out of them and it's just enough to nick the thin fly line that you're using on these small flies. You also want to think about buying them in bulk versus, you know, one small bag, depending on how many you're tying. And if you buy a whole bunch of cheap ones, you might be stuck with a whole bunch of cheap ones that all have a little nick of metal where they were drilled and they're going to cut all of your tying thread each time you tie and you're going to piss yourself off. I have expensive beads. I've got middle line beads. I got cheap beads. The more beads you have, the more you'll play around and, and decide what you like to tie with. I like really smooth beads. I get super pissed if I'm tying and a thread gets nicked and breaks. It's more when I'm using 6 ot I don't really go lighter than that, but it, it pisses me off. If I break three threads on one bead, I might just throw that fly away and just start over again. I don't have a metal file in my office, I could probably just file it down, but that really gets my glasses steamed up. 
How are you going to keep all your flies organized is another thing. So right here on my desk, this is a one, two, three, four, five, six by three plastic storage thing. And it is full of glass beads. And these are from you know, like the bead craft making store in Falls Church. I use these for a variety of things, but they are plastic and glass and they can crack. They are not the strongest of fly tie materials. And I can take these traveling with me because, you know, this is like 10 inches by six inches across. This one's a little more organized. It's the same size and it is organized by tungsten cones on the far left, brass and black. And then I have 3.8 millimeter brass chartreuse orange and pink. Then I've got brass silver cones and black brass cones. Then I've got 4.5 millimeter brass, four millimeter brass, three millimeter brass going across the top row. Chartreuse, 2.5 millimeter, 3.5, 3.5. I got some 4.6s and then just a bunch of random ones in here. I've got some of these that the only way to get them out is to kind of put your fingernail over them and get them under your fingernail. You could try a bodkin, but they're going to be too thick. These are for size 20 to 22 to 24 thread midges where I just need something absolutely itty itty bitty. These are just micro. Some of these are just absolutely tiny. Like this one. Listen to that drop. It's so quiet compared to, let's say a tungsten. Here's a big hexagonal tungsten bead. Here's a tungsten cone. Here's a brass bead. So they all have different densities, volumes, and weights based on the size you buy them. A brass bead, no matter what size, is gonna have the same density because of the metal it's based on, but they're not all gonna weigh the same based on their size. They're all the same density, but weight can change. So those are my two main beads. Then here on the floor, I have a larger container. And this is just a crazy one. This is all the stuff that I find on the floor and desk and that falls out of bags. This is where the random beads go. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven by three. It's probably a foot across. I've got these brass beads from Misty for tying tube flies. Then I've got metal blades, a huge tungsten, very lustrous hexagonal bead, a bunch of 5.5 millimeter beads. A bunch of brass, like four eighths, random tungsten cones, random brass beads. They're just all organized in here. And then I also have some itty bitty hooks thrown in here as well. TMCO size 22s. So basically anything I find, random bead heads, random dumbbell eyes, they go in here and I'll check this first or bring them to beer ties based on just needing a variety of beads. And then behind me on my old wooden bookshelf, and I don't know if I told you all the story about how I got this bookshelf. We had this woman in Fredericksburg and I drove by my apartment before the fly fishing show the other day. Uh, she had a, a drinking and substance abuse problem and she had come over one night and no one would let her in. Somehow she would come in when the door was unlocked and just let herself in. But the rest of the time we had to lock our front and back doors and avoid her. She had this abusive boyfriend that would come looking for her. We did not want to mess with him. 
So one day she comes over and she's got two cans of beer with her and she puts them in the fridge, passes out on the sofa while we're watching TV and we're like, what, what do we do? There's this random woman asleep on her sofa. It's like two hours later, she wakes up and she's like, I'm going home. We're like, finally, like, do we call the cops? What do we do with this random drunk woman sitting on her sofa asleep while we're watching who knows what? Next day comes, I walk in the house from getting groceries. She must have seen me and she comes in right behind me because the door is open and she's like, I'm so thirsty. I will do anything for a drink. I will trade you a wooden bookshelf for two drinks. And I look at my roommates with this look of, all right, we're going to see where this is going to go. So I told her, I said, I've got two ice cold cans of beer that are sitting in my fridge. Milwaukee's best blue can. You want those? I'll take your bookshelf. And she's like, that sounds awesome right now. So she opens the fridge. She grabs the two cans of beer that she left in my fridge the day before, walks me to her house, and there's a bookshelf near the front door, and I take it. And that was 1997, and it's 2024, and I'm still using this cheap wooden bookshelf. It has moved with me so many times, but it works. And on the back, I've got just stuff organized, but one bin is a baby white box they don't sell them anymore and it just has little packs of beads that i can travel with a little easier than these things here if this were to open anywhere car trip hotel room fly fishing show it would be a mess but if you got them in their little ziplocs and a little box with a rubber band around them it's safe and then i've got my pegboard and the left side is large dumbbells then medium then small and then i've got a bunch of rubber band legs and then all sorts of weights from pinks oranges whites chartreuse reds blacks silvers coppers browns you name it so i can sort of match anything i want to tie to the size and color of the beads that i've been collecting since high school it's kind of crazy Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay. That was how to keep you organized. The last one in this section is you have to choose the weight of them based on where you're fishing. You don't want them to get hung up on the bottom, yet you don't want them to pass over top of the fish that are bottom feeding. Another thing you want to think about is if you're using a dry dropper rig, and this was talked about in the two fly rig podcast about three years ago, is that you don't want the dropper flies hook weight or added bead, cone, etc., to be heavy enough, dense enough to sink your dry fly. If you're using something like a stimulator or a Chernobyl ant, chubby Chernobyl, you've got enough buoyancy in that. But if you're maybe using like a foam ant or a little cricket, you might just not have enough floatability to keep your top fly above. I like to do a midge, like I said, a size 22 with that itty bitty little metal bead that would sit on the surface of water. It's not heavy enough to break the water tension with a thread midge behind it, just in the surface film. And then a white wolf about 18 inches in front of it. They're not going to eat the white wolf. It's probably just going to get confused with snow if I'm fishing in the cold, but that little midge is going to be seen and taken. I wait for the white wolf to twitch and then I set the hook and the white wolf never sank. All right, let's talk about hook weights. So hooks, additionally, I've got this random box again of probably, there's probably four to 500 random hooks organized in this one. And then on my fly tying desk, I've got a cookie tin from Christmas a couple years ago. And this has all sorts of hooks and beads. This is sort of what I, I tie with currently. And then I have all my hooks on the wall. So I can walk up to them and I can see them now. They're mostly Fly Shack. There's some Orvis, Daiichi, Bass Pro, Tiemco, Dairiki, Gamakatsu. I've got just the whole shebang of hooks up there. But I have specific hooks and they'll say them, heavy wet nymph hook. So you want to use, so if they're big and they got, uh, they're pretty thick hooks, they're probably going to sink more. So... We're going to talk about a couple of things with hooks. First, uh, will the bead or cone fit around the bend of the hook over the barb and slide up to the eye if that's where you want it? Hooks made for fly fishing are going to be able to do that unless the bead is just too big. Non-fly fishing beads are just not going to make it. They're not going to be drilled properly. When I'm doing fly tying classes, I mentioned that there's a small hole and a big hole. The hook goes through the little hole and then you push it up and around and the big hole is gonna be facing backwards away from the eye of the hook towards your vise. Those are fly tying beads. Non-fly tying beads are just drilled with a regular hole on each side and they may not work. In fact, glass or plastic beads might break if you try to force them on. So will the bead go over and around the bend of the hook? The next is, is the bead just too big for the eye? When you slide it up, is it gonna go over the eye of the hook? Some companies make larger eyed hooks, but you wanna make sure that this doesn't happen to you. I've tied a couple flies before and the bead has popped off and it's embarrassing. Sometimes when I'm tying and I'm wrapping material, it'll force it and it'll pop the bead over the eye of the hook. It's only about two models of hooks that I have and I have to remember to use a smaller bead on those so as not to have it go over. Do you need to smash the barb to get it over? So if you have barbless hooks, the beads are just gonna go on a much 
much easier. If you have a barb, that might be just enough to close the gap between the hook shank and the bend and the hook point that you can't get it over. So smashing your barb ahead of time will allow you to put your bead on and around. Hook size is another thing you need to know about. Are you using a heavy hook, like the ones I mentioned up on my wall, which has more mass and that's gonna help sink your fly. So if you have a heavier hook with more mass on it, it'll sink to the bottom faster, whether you add weight to it or not. If you add extra weight, now it's just gonna sink even more faster. So you wanna buy a hook purposely to sink your flies faster if you're gonna be fishing on the bottom for salmon, for carp, for trout, Anything that's going to be on the bottom is what you want to have the heaviest hook weight for. Are you using a heavy hook for added strength? A heavier hook. So if you want to not have your hook bend out, and we were given a demonstration on hook bending at the fly fishing show over the weekend. If you don't want your hook to bend out on a big fish, use a heavier gauge or heavier wire hook. That's it. The only problem with the heavier wire, heavier gauge is that it's gonna leave a bigger hole in your fish when you release it. So that is a bit of a problem. So think about your hook size, your hook diameters, and your hook weights when you're choosing which ones to buy for your beads, weights, and cones. Most websites and fly shops will have a bead and cone chart that'll tell you what size beads are for what hooks, and you can avoid all of this. Next, I want to talk about lead. It's not my favorite thing, but sometimes it's a necessary evil in fly fishing. And one day I will completely quit it. Just haven't done it yet. Lead is cancerous. It's bad for you. You don't want to be working with it in your fly tying room, playing with it, and then eating food on shore. You don't want to have it in your car and your backpack and, and sitting in your waders where it can just be toxic and nasty. So lead just by default is noxious. The other metals we use don't cause you harm. Lead is just bad for the environment. Sure, it was mined out at some point, but now it's purified and it's back in these places where wildlife abounds, and that's a problem. So it's bad for wildlife. Not only do birds eat split shot and bird shot when they're on the bottom with their heads picking at the grass, and I have seen bird poop with split shot in it before, but it leaches chemicals into the water, which is just bad. And in some areas, it's just a legality issue. Some places have just banned the use of lead weights. You can't fish them. You can't buy them. You can bring them from out of state, maybe if they're legal, but not sold in that state. So check the legality of where you're fishing. And then the last method that somebody may add to their line or to their flies is putty. And that usually is going to come in tungsten. Some very talented anglers I know love to use weighted putty. It's movable, it's reusable, and it's heavy. So you can get things down quick. You can adjust it quicker. You don't have to add more beads or take beads off your hook, which you can't really do. You get to the stream and your hook has a designated weight and it's not going to change. You can add putty to your line and add putty and add putty, take away, pinch, add, and you can find that exact sweet spot and get your flies down. So now I'm gonna go over just a little list of metals, their mass, their price, etc. So you might know what you wanna use on your hooks. Do you wanna use cheap stuff because it's less expensive? Do you wanna use it because you're worried about hitting the bottom? Maybe you wanna use a heavy weight added to your fly line and cheap beads because the weight added to your fly line is cheaper and you're just gonna save money. Then you also have to decide, hey, do I really wanna be losing really expensive 
beads on the bottom if I'm fishing someplace that has a lot of snags on them. So you have to decide budget, sinkability. There's a lot of variables that are going to go into this. So I'm going to talk about water, not a metal, aluminum, or to our British and Aussie friends, aluminum. I'm going to talk about brass, bronze, copper, glass, lead, stainless steel, and tungsten. All right, before I get into the mathematical section of this podcast, I want to go over just a couple of other things that may have been redundant. But when you're making your purchase, are you going to be aware of the weights and the beads and cones, etc., and some of what you want to do with them? You have to know the water you plan on fishing, the substrate, the fish you plan on targeting, and the water speed. You need to know where your beaded, coned, or otherly weighted hook is going to be once it enters that water column. Also, are you buying a variety pack of beads with a whole bunch of different sizes that are the same material and density, or are you buying just one big bag of 25 or 100 of them? Are you buying round beads? Are you buying collar-shaped beads, or are you buying faceted beads? Faceted beads are the ones that are sort of hexagonal-shaped, and they have a little bit more straight sides to them, which could reflect light. Also, are you going to be using weight to wrap the hook shank? If you're using lead, are you going to be using thin lead or thicker lead? The diameter of that lead will determine how thick your fly is. So you can add bulk to your fly by adding a couple of extra layers of body wrap. That is lead tape or wire for underneath the body of the fly. Are you going to be using metal wire on the outside? That is negligible weight. If you're using medium, large, copper wire to your fly, you're not going to really add weight. Maybe if it's a really tiny brassy, but otherwise that's negligible weight. That is more of decorative than used for weight. So lightweight hooks, flies, stuff with beads on them, things you want to also take account of. Sometimes the weight is so light on that bead, it's not meant to weight the actual fly. But again, it's there just for look purposes. I mentioned those itty bitty little aluminum looking beads I have. You can put that on top of a glass of water and it's probably going to float. It won't break the surface tension. We're talking about midges here. Everyone loves a nice zebra midge. Those work everywhere you're going to fish for trout. The weight of your fly also determines its splatability when it enters the water. If you're fishing a slow quiet spring creek, you want to have a stealthy approach, especially if you're sight casting a fish. You don't want to use a big plopping, heavily weighted fly. Shallow waters, a heavier fly is going to sink to the bottom quicker and could get hung up just as quickly. Now, if you're a backpacker, and this only relates to the one person who used to come into the old Orvis Tyson's Corner store when it was near Clyde's and next to the bed and weightlifting store. This guy would come in with a digital scale and he would actually weigh his flies before he would go backpacking. I don't know how a couple of flies could weigh you down when backpacking, but maybe you are that person and you are that considered about the amount of weight you're taking on a backpacking trip and you need to have them precisely weighed out beforehand. So that, that goes for that guy. Uh, also, how are you going to be swinging your fly? Do you want a natural drift? When it's in there, a, a lighter bead or cone is not going to sink your fly to the bottom, and it's going to allow it to kind of swing through that current in a variable section of that vertical water column. 
Also, if you're using a sinking line like we do when we're shad fishing, or maybe you're using a big T-line swinging steelhead flies, if your line is weighted with tungsten or lead, you probably don't need as heavy a fly when you are fishing. Now, when we're shad fishing, I'm going to be using a heavy fly plus a sink tip because we have to throw it in there and it needs to get down quickly before it's washed away. And then last thing again, under a floating dropper, a lighter fly is not going to sink your floating lead fly. Now for heavyweights, you need to worry about things like plunge pools. When your fly needs to get down right there and then with no movement left or right in that water going upstream, downstream with currents, if you need to get to the bottom right then when you're in a plunge pool, you're going to want to use something heavy like tungsten. I usually reserve or I used to reserve all of my heavy tungsten expensive beads for fishing out in Colorado in tailwaters and plunge pools. And I need to get out there soon to go see Justin and some other friends and wet a line. That is where you need to use heavy weighted beads. You need to use them in deep cuts, places where the water is going to increase in velocity as it goes through a narrow spot. And if your fly has got copper or brass or tin on it, it's just going to wash away before the fish ever get a chance to see it. Like I said, if you have to get it down right there and then, when we are in the drift boat and we're fishing structure, logs, cut banks, rock ledges, places where we are looking down on the fish and you've got to make it plummet straight down like an anchor before it goes downstream and gets hung up under the log, in the rocks, whatever, that's when we're going to break out the tungsten beadhead flies. Most of the flies in the boat are going to be brass, copper, aluminum, and I'll have a couple of flies specifically with tungsten for those that have to get down right there and then. If you're swinging deep through deep cuts and other places, you're going to want a heavy weighted fly. If you need your fly to make contact with the bottom, I'm talking crayfish flies, sculpin flies, egg flies, worms, etc., you're going to want to use heavier lead wrapped wire bodies and tungsten beads and cones. My bacon fly, again, is going to have tungsten cones on it for fast and deep water and just a regular brass cone for average water. You'll hear me talk about those flies when and if I ever get back to trout fishing. I did catch some nice smallmouth on the bacon fly last summer. Bridges are another place where you're going to need to use heavily weighted flies. Water is going to get sucked into that bridge. It's a narrow point. The velocity is going to increase. Fish hang out under bridges because it's shady. You can catch striped bass under bridges all day long in the summertime around here. Because it's shady, it's cool, and food is coming to them. If you don't want your fly to get sucked all the way through and past those fish, you're going to have to use something heavily weighted. If you're in a boat, I already mentioned this so far, but you're only going to have so long to sink your fly before the boat moves past your target. If your fish are rising, if your fish are feeding on the bottom, if there's a little nook or cranny, you need to put that fly in while the boat is moving. Now, I mentioned the boat earlier. That's usually when we are just anchored or I'm feathering the boat and holding it right next to that big tree stump. And that's where those dudes were spear fishing last summer. Totally weird stuff to see out on the Potomac. They were also noodling in that hole. That's how you know there's big fish in there. If there's dudes with masks and spear guns, big fish hang out down there. So if you are in a boat that is moving and you need to get your fly down right then and there before the boat moves past, you need to use a heavily weighted fly. And last, if you drop something in the water and need to hook it to get it back, sunglasses, a net, anything that you might drop in the water that you were thinking, wow, how am I going to get that back? And 
this happens more often than you would think. My neighbor just started his snowblower out there. Come on, Jim, you clear that driveway. It's a winter wonderland. It's beautiful. I can't wait to go sledding in a couple of minutes when I finish this. You can put on a heavily weighted tungsten jig. You can have just a bare jig ready to go with nothing on it just to get it down to hook something. If you remember when I talked to my friends from Slovenia at the London Fly Fishing Festival or Fair, they had these pre-made weighted jig heads with the weight built into them to get down for Pertagon style stuff. That's what you want. Just a bare weighted hook, sink it down, hook your stuff and bring it back up. Now, before I go too far on this, I thought it was going to be a shorter podcast. Now it's time for a little metallurgy and scientific talk. And we're going to go through some metals and non-metals. The non-metals are going to be water and glass. I'm going to talk about the mass in grams cubed and the current market price of each of these. Now, water is the first thing on the list. And then we're going to have aluminum, brass, bronze, copper, glass, lead, stainless steel, tungsten, and finally tin. They're not necessarily in chronological weight order price. I just kind of threw them together. They may be a little bit alphabetical. So water, you just need to know that it has a mass of one gram per centimeter cubed. So that's about the size of a sugar cube. It should weigh, if you could have liquid water that size, it would be a, a mass of one. And you need to know this because all of these things are going to be cutting through water. And the more mass they have, the faster they go to the bottom. Because we live on this giant floating water-covered rock where everything goes to the center. It's called gravity. It was invented by Isaac Newton. So I'm going to go through these. Now, water, it's about 85 cents for a gallon at the grocery store. Not too concerned about the price of water because the water is already there for us. You're not buying water at the fly shop to sink into water. So the first up, we're going to have aluminum. If you are our friends like Ben Honky in Australia, it's aluminum. Or if you are Andy in England, it's aluminum. But here in America, we call it aluminum. Aluminum is fairly lightweight. The mass is 2.71 grams per centimeter cubed with a current market price of $1.01 per pound. It's very lightweight. You can buy these in bulk and you can use them where you need shallow water, low sink rate flies. Next up is brass, and brass is a blend of copper and zinc, and it can come in a variety of different blends of metals, which will vary the price and the weight of it, or the mass is what we want to talk about here. The mass of brass is 8.4 to 8.73 grams per centimeter cubed. So it's about four times heavier than aluminum, and the cost isn't that much more. It's $1.87 per pound. So brass beads are going to be a better sink rate and they're not going to break your wallet. Bronze, again, is another hybrid, a copper and tin combination. So it has a variety of masses, and we're going to say it's 7.4 to 8.9 grams per centimeter cubed. That's pretty heavy. That's a good weight. Now, bronze is what your hooks are mostly going to be made out of. So a bigger hook is going to sink a little bit more because it's going to have just more weight to it. The current market price is $2.21 per pound for bronze. So heavier, more expensive. Copper is next. Copper, very common in beads. Copper is used in the wires for brassies and other things. And it is going to be 8.96 grams per centimeter cubed with a market weight of $3.79 per pound. So if you're going to be tying up copper johns with copper beads on them, your price is going to go up a little bit. So maybe when you buy these flies in a store or custom flies, 
they're going to be more expensive based on the person who has to spend more to tie them. Glass, not technically a metal, but it was an original used material and I still use it today. Glass beads are very popular. They come in a variety of sizes and colors. And glass has a mass of 2.5 grams per centimeter cubed. I don't know what the current market price is, but glass beads are usually not that expensive when bought in a fly shop or in a craft store. Lead has a mass of 11.36 grams per centimeter cubed. That is the heaviest we have found so far, and the price of it is $0.92 per pound. So $0.92 cents per pound for something that sinks extremely heavy. So you'll use this wrapping maybe pheasant tails and other bodies of nymphs, or you may just be using lead on your fly line, or you have lead in your fly line. It's versatile, it's cheap, it's very malleable because it's soft metal, but it's bad. Now, stainless steel, we're going to use that in our fly hooks. We're going to use that in our bead chain and a couple of other things. I don't really think there's too many stainless steel beads, but stainless steel is very inexpensive and it's not the heaviest. It's not the lightest, but it's in that good Goldilocks spot. Stainless steel has a mass of 7.9 grams per centimeter cubed and the current market price is 30 cents per pound. It's not very expensive. This is how I can buy hundreds of feet of beaded chain in a variety of sizes for about $25. Tungsten is gonna be the king of your weight. If you are the one that needs to sink down fast, of all those different variables I mentioned earlier, it's gonna be tungsten. And it is the heaviest of all of these metals with a mass of 19.6 grams per centimeter cubed. And the price is almost the most expensive. I think copper is the most expensive. Tungsten is $3.25 per pound. So it's heavy. It's going to cost you more, but it's the one you're going to need in certain situations. And finally is tin. Tin's expensive, but it's also in that Goldilocks spot. You're going to use tin maybe in a non-toxic split shot or maybe in some sort of beads or wrapping, whatever. But the mass of tin is 7.2 grams per centimeter cubed with a current market price today of $11.17 per pound. I think the more these things are used in industry, the price goes up. The more rare they are, the price goes up. So that is your mathematical sit-down podcast for the day. I'm now going to go and enjoy the snow falling. It's starting to stick to the roads out there. Once it gets dark, I am going to go for a nice walk through the neighborhood. I was hoping I would be with Caitlin for our first snowfall in our relationship in almost two years. This is the first snow we have had measurable in over two years. I'm going to go play in the snow and we're going to get the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival podcast recorded, put together and ready for you to listen to in a couple of days. I'm going to go watch some Monday night football on the big TV down in the basement where I'm here recording and I'm just going to have a fun, enjoyable snow day. That's it, everybody. Thanks for downloading the podcast. If you heard a sponsor you're interested in, please go check them out. You can play this podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and always at waypointtv.com. And please give me a like and some five stars on iTunes. Thank you, everybody. Have a great snow day if you also are getting some of this snow. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.